You smell that? Nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. Leaving right after this drink. Rock and roll, whiskey, and other stories. With your host, Brian Shaw. Welcome to another episode of I'm Leaving Right After This Drink. Rock and roll, whiskey, and other stories. Tonight, we're going to jump right into it. I got my Jack Daniels on the rocks in hand, and we're ready to go. So over the past week or so, I've been kind of going through some old photos and memorabilia, trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to talk about next. Well, I happened to stumble upon an old flyer in this uh, batch of goodies, and it's from a band called the Cherry Splits. I'm like, who the fuck are the Cherry Splits? And also playing with the Cherry Splits is a band called Tough from LA, as specified on the flyer, as well as a band called Diamondback. Now at the time, I had no idea who the band Tough was. I know who the band is now, but I kept thinking, why in the hell do I have this? And then I looked on the back and boom, I kept this because all four original members of the Bullet Boys signed this flyer back in 1991, according to the ticket stub that is taped to the flyer from that night show, August of 1991 at Mississippi Nights. My first encounter of meeting the Bullet Boys. So I thought, you know what? What the hell? Let's talk about the Bullet Boys in episode number two. Now, I know most of you are thinking, who are the Bullet Boys? And the other small portion of you are going, really? The Bullet Boys? The subject of a podcast? Yes, that is correct. And let me back up a little bit by saying, I like the Bullet Boys. I love their first two albums. I still play them and crank them up whenever they come on my phone. So I love the self-titled debut album and the album Freak Show. I can remember my friend Jeff getting me, you know, turned on to this band when uh, I used to go over to his house and I would hear him playing, you know, different rock music and shit. And I was like, man, this is pretty badass. Who is this? He's like, oh, it's the Bullet Boys. And, you know, I remember the album cover had the apple with the bullet going through it. Just super cool. And then in, uh, and then early 91, I guess, their second album, Freak Show, came out. And when this album came out, I remember vaguely that my mom drove me to a Streetside Records in Hazelwood, Missouri, to meet the band and have them sign my Freak Show album. And I'm pretty sure my mom did. I may have driven myself at that point, but I feel like I didn't have a license yet or something. I'm not really sure. But either way, thanks to mom for either driving me over there or thanks for letting me drive from Granite City, Illinois to Hazelwood, Missouri, which was, I think, probably 25, 30 minutes. But uh, that was pretty cool of her back in the day to do that for me. And um, so... I meet them at this end store. They sign my album. I'm like, man, that's pretty fucking cool. Guys were, you know, nice guys, whatever. And I didn't get a chance to go to the show that night. But a few months later, back in St. Louis, headlining a show at Mississippi Nights. And let me just tell you a little bit about Mississippi Nights, first and foremost. This little club in, uh, in St. Louis that was right on the landing, right down from the Gateway Arch, was such a badass place to see bands. Super cool venue. And I saw everybody there from Anthrax to George Thorogood, uh, Zach Wilde's Pride and Glory I saw there, uh, a number of the 80s hair bands from Britney Fox to Mr. Big, uh, Dokken, and so, and of course, the Bullet Boys. Hence the reason we're talking about the Bullet Boys tonight. 
So this venue was an all ages club, or at least for, for the most part, this, this show happened to be all ages. And, uh, so me and my friend Brian got tickets for the show. And according to the ticket stub, I paid a whopping $13 for this ticket. Now I can tell you that in 1991 world, $13, definitely worth it to see the bullet boys. In today's world, $13 to see the Bullet Boys? No way. Never going to happen. <laughs> but like I said, I totally enjoyed their first two albums, that third album. And from here on out, just went in a direction that I just have never liked since. But, uh, but anyhow, we got to the venue early because, and I say early, doors are probably like at 6.30, 7 o'clock. So we were probably there, you know, 6-ish or whatever, standing in line. And again, we had seen a number of shows at this venue, and this was the first time that the band actually came out before the show and was, you know, just kind of going through the line, talking to the fans and signing autographs. And I'm sure nobody was taking pictures at the time unless you had one of those old throwaway cameras. I mean, it was, you know, 1991. But, hey, they signed that awesome flyer that I was handed before the show that I still have. So that was, that was pretty cool. But uh, we get into the venue, and of course, being under 21 at that time, they used to shove anybody who was not of drinking age down in the front, and you weren't cool enough, or you weren't of age, I should say, to be back towards the bar. So we got stuck right in the front. We are inches away from four gigantic speakers on the right-hand side of the stage. There's, of course, four more on the left-hand side of the stage. And before the show even starts, we are both like, dude, we are in trouble. This show is going to be fucking loud. And me and my friend Brian still talk about this concert because it was so damn loud. Easily one of the loudest concerts I've ever been to. So, of course, you know, the show happens. We buy our T-shirts. We leave the venue. We're talking about the show, at least from what we can hear as we're screaming at each other because we can't hear a damn thing. Homeless people are asking us for change. And we're like, I don't know. I can't hear. Please don't hurt us. Like, we had no idea what the hell was going on. But, again, it was an awesome show. We got to meet the band. And that was very, very cool. But I can't remember going to work the next day, my summer job, my ears ringing like crazy. Just gone like, oh, my God. Never been so scared in my life that I was going to lose my hearing. And I can remember both hands on the steering wheel driving to work. And I'm like, oh, my God. My God, please. If you make this ringing stop, I will not listen to music loud ever again. Well, I know I owe an apology to the big man because that definitely didn't happen. But there was a lesson that was learned that day, which was always wear your earplugs. And I, I swear to God that from that day forward, I always had earplugs when I went to a concert. Man, I had never been so scared in my life. Like I said, it was absolutely insane. So now we're going to fast forward to about 1999, 2000. And uh, I had moved to Southern California and I was living with my brother at the time who was nice enough to let me crash at his house while I kind of got my act together living in California. And I can remember one day turning to go down to his house. And as I looked, there was a garage door open and just, you know, curiosity, you just kind of look in, right? See what people kind of junk people got in their garage. Well, this person happened to have a couple of gold or platinum albums hanging up on the back wall of the garage. And I thought, man, is it really possible that somebody from like a band or the entertainment industry lives like 
just a few houses down from my brother. That's pretty fucking wild. So, of course, curiosity got the best of me after that. And every time I left or came home, I was always looking to see who might live there or, you know, am I going to recognize them or know them or anything like that. And then one day I'm driving and I'm going home and I happened to look. And because it was a beach town and everybody had their windows and doors open and stuff because, you know, let the ocean breeze go through the house. I happened to see a Bullet Boys poster on the wall. And I'm like, is it possible that somebody from the Bullet Boys lives in this house? Like, how crazy is that? And then a few days later, I can remember, you know, leaving or coming back from somewhere. And sure enough, the bass player, Lonnie Vincent, is in the driveway just like hanging out with some friends. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Like the bass player from the Bullet Boys lives in this house. That is completely crazy to me. And then like a few days after that, next thing I know, the whole band is like playing catch football as I'm just like hanging outside my brother's house. And I'm like, dude, like 15 year old me would think this is the coolest thing ever that the Bullet Boys are like right here in front of me. But 20 something year old me was like, yeah, this is, you know, whatever. It was just so weird. And at that point, once I found out who lived there, it was kind of like, okay, move on. So, you know, that was kind of how it was until probably, I would say three or four weeks later, I happened to be coming home, you know, late one night and I had to park my car at a parking garage that was up the street. And as I'm crossing the street to come home and I got to walk like two or three blocks, I you know, I crossed the street, like I said, and there's a bar there called Sharky's. And this was like a little cool beach bar that was always packed. Everybody went there. And as I'm walking in front of the door, out of the door, kind of cutting me off, is the bass player from the Bullet Boys with two beautiful women on each arm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, not two beautiful women on each arm. He's got one beautiful woman on each arm. He's got two. <laughs> Let me clarify that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like a decade later, a decade after this band's heyday, this guy's still pulling in two women from a bar that he did not play at. Like, that's weird to me. And again, let me stress that nobody probably knew who the Bullet Boys were in Manhattan Beach, California, other than this idiot right here. And I'm probably still one of the very few who could name all four original members of the Bullet Boys. But man, I just couldn't wrap my brain around this at that time. And I'm like, is this dude really going to, like, is this really possible? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, look, they could have been friends. Who really knows? But, you know, that's what I do on this podcast is assume that they're going to go home and do a little bow, 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 right? So, all right. So I'm kind of standing there and we're walking down the street and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be really weird if I follow this dude for like, you know, three blocks. So I probably should go around him. And so I kind of walk a little faster and I get up next to him and I look over at him and I said, excuse me, man, just for, just for a second. And he stops and we're standing there. And I said, um, can I ask you a question? And he goes, yeah, of course. And I said, weren't you the bass player in the Bullet Boys? And I see this smiling, happy-go-lucky, I'm about to take home two women face go to a little bit angry, probably a little pissed off, but I could tell I'm like, uh-oh, did I say something wrong? Like, what happened here? I don't know. This could get ugly. And he looks at me in the most stern voice, dead in the eye, and says, no, I am the bass player in the Bullet Boys. And I thought, okay, wow. And again, I laugh telling you that now, 
at that moment, how I didn't laugh in his face is beyond me. I'm guessing I had just enough alcohol to not laugh. But I kept it together and I was like, oh man, it's really, you know, it's really nice to meet you. And, you know, I remember seeing you guys in St. Louis a couple times and, uh, you know, great shows. He's like, oh, thanks, man, blah, blah, blah. And I could tell it was like, all right, dude, like, hey, I'm trying to get home and, you know, bang it out. And so I was like, all right, man, well, cool. And I kept on walking. And as I was walking home and I'm laughing to myself and I thought, you know what? Like, this guy should be thanking me. He shouldn't act like such a douchebag because I asked him a question like that and be so standoffish when, if anything, I helped this guy's game. Because, again, nobody in Manhattan Beach, California knew who this dude was. And I'm sure that these two girls were like, holy shit, he really did play in the Bullet Boys or this band or whatever. Maybe he said to these girls to get them to go home with them. I have no idea. But I was like, damn, man. And again, it's not like the Bullet Boys sold so many albums that they would be recognizable. You know, it's not like they'd walk into your local grocery store and you'd be like, oh, hey, that's the guy from the Bullet Boys. Like, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> I don't even know if it ever happened in their heyday. But regardless, they sold a few records, and I mean a few. They sold, obviously, enough to have a gold or a couple platinum albums in his garage. <laughs> so anyway, not a household name. But I just thought, man, he didn't have to be kind of a dick. So I was like, you know, whatever. It is what it is. It's late at night. I'm kind of drunk. He's probably kind of drunk. He's going to have a better ending than I did. So, you know, hey, whatever. But here's the best part. Guess who's not the bass player in the Bullet Boys anymore? That's right. Lonnie Vincent. <laughs> Cheers. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe, you dig? God bless the internet.